Okay, Northies, it's great to be with you again this morning. I uh, hope you've been enjoying the notes that we send out. Now, I have to say that my contribution to those notes is I provide the email address and my wife does all the work. So when you're sending um, your, letter, your emails back saying, thank you, Steve, for all those... Um, those great notes, you might want to send it back and say, thank you, Anne, because she's the one that's actually doing all the work. And by the way, if you want to gather your life group together and sit down and watch uh, church together, it'd be fantastic for, for, uh, to do that as well. Today, we're going to continue with our Beatitudes and we're looking at the fourth, uh, the fourth installment. Beatitudes number four. Um, we've, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at what really is Jesus introducing the kingdom culture for the, for the new kingdom? He's, he's saying basically this is what the blessed people look like. And so it's, it's important to note here that the blessing is not found in the first part of the verse. The blessing is found in the second part of the verse. So we don't say it's, it's a blessing to be poor in spirit because that's not the blessing. The blessing is because when you are poor in spirit, you will inherit the kingdom of God. The blessing is not to mourn. The blessing is the fact that we will be comforted because we know Christ. So, so as we saw Pam introduce the poor in spirit, spiritual desperation. That's really what it is. It's where we've come to the end of ourselves and we have no alternative. We recognize that there's no alternative but God. Secondly, um, Graham looked at uh, blessed are those that mourn for they will be comforted. And really when you understand that you have no alternative, you really are in a place of mourning. You really are in that place where uh, woe is me. And then uh, last week, um, re looked at meekness. And, and really if you want to think about it, the first two are looking at where we need to go. In fact, if you, um, you remember that verse in Luke chapter 2 and verse 34, where Jesus was presented in the temple and Simon took hold of him and began to pray. Not Simon, Simeon. And he said, behold, he said to, the mother, to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise. Not the rise and fall, for the fall and the rise. And in reality, in, in our Christian experience, we always begin with a fall. We begin with going down. We begin with woe is me. We begin with um, spiritual poverty. We go to the place of mourning. And then once we've been in that place, then we develop that, that posture that is so crucial going forward of meekness. Because it's in that place where we're not defending ourselves. We're taking the low with a humble position. I'm always reminded of the, uh, the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark movie not the, not the, that one the um search for the holy grail where they were going where um indiana jones is going in and he's going only the penitent man will pass only the penitent man the penitent man the penitent man and all of a sudden drops to his knees as the blade wishes over his head and to the left and to the right of him are the skeletons of harry head missing and uh it's it's the one that goes down on their knees the penitent man that takes the humble and the low position and so Going forward now, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a really prominent um, pastor and, and writer and Christian thinker in the, in the 1950s, he, he put out a two-volume book on the Sermon of the Mount and he, he, de he develops a whole thing on the Beatitude. And he says, it's important that we view the Beatitudes as a whole. There is a kind of logical sequence to this sermon on the Mount and a spiritual order and sequence to the Beatitudes. 
He said we need to see this as a process and a progression, that one leads on to the other and the other follows naturally on from the first. He says there's some general lessons uh, in the Beatitude. First of all, that all Christians are to be like this. Do we understand that the Beatitudes are actually addressed to Christians? They're not addressed to to non-Christian people. Because the reality is, look at them. We can barely keep them. And apart from the Holy Spirit's help, we can't keep them. So it's, 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 it's ludicrous to expect a Christian to live, uh, non-Christians to live up to that standard. So he says the Beatitudes are for all Christians to be like this. Not just special Christians or exalted Christians or well-known Christians. The second principle was that all Christians are meant to manifest all of the characteristics. And then thirdly, none of these descriptions, none of these characteristics are what we would call a natural tendency. We, we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit's help. So today we turn our attention to the fourth in the series. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible today, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'll read it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is actually introducing almost the, the counterpoint for the first part, it's like blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who, who come to the end of themselves, that know that there's no alternative. They've, they feel uh, almost abject because of their sin and the sin of the world. And so they rightly adopt a spirit and an attitude of meekness. And then they come to the place where, okay, all of that is to move into this next phase that we might hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about two kinds of righteousness in the New Testament. Firstly, positional righteousness. So what we would call the righteousness that we have in Christ. It's imputed righteousness. It's where God says because we believe and trust in him and put our faith in Jesus, he will impute to us the righteousness that is Christ's. In other words, we're declared righteous. The second one is practical righteousness. It's righteousness in character. The first one, righteousness in Christ. The second one, righteousness in character. It's where righteousness is imparted by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we engage with him. In the first one, it says, If by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, how much more... Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. The gift of righteousness, not the outworking of righteousness, the gift of imputed righteousness. The second one, Paul goes on in Romans 6.13 to say, Do not keep presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. In this way, Jesus is setting us up to mirror something that he's going to address a little bit later on in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is, he says, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. What, what are those good works? They're acts of righteousness that we do as a response to the Holy Spirit. And when they see the good works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. And so we can see this sequence that, that um, Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about being outworked here. 
We cannot be spiritually satisfied on our own. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us we begin as one who is poor in spirit, hopelessly desperate. The proper response to being poor in spirit is to mourn, knowing truly that we're we're in an abjectly desperate situation. And to cry out like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 4. Oh no, in the Good News translation it says, I'm doomed. Every word that passes through my lips is sinful and I live among a people with sinful lips. I have seen the King, the Lord of uh, heaven's armies. And then from that, once we we have seen the Lord and we, we understand that everything that we receive is a gift, it's not a right. We're not entitled to anything. We receive it by the grace of Jesus. There comes upon us a genuine meekness where we take the low position. Like, like Moses did when in Korah's rebellion, where in number 16, Korah came out and said, uh, you and Aaron, you're the ones, you know, we're Levites too, we're important. You guys get all the, the credibility. Moses' instant response was he went face down on the ground. He didn't even say anything, he just face planted. I think it was like only the penitent man will pass. There's a sword about to come past and cut somebody's head off and I don't want to be standing right now. So down he goes. And this is really interesting because as we pursue righteous and hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's not easy. It involves work. It involves going before the Lord. It it involves dealing with our, our stuff and dealing with our sin and asking Jesus to come and help us to change. And the reality is, if we are not meek, We'll get offended. We'll get we'll be jumping up and down and saying, Whoa, you know, and 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 you know, having a real discussion with God about how unfair it is and and how, you know, I deserve better than this. And the reality is, we don't deserve anything. Everything we get is an absolute blessing. But the morning, you know, the morning part, it's not just a pity party. We can't Jesus is not giving us license to be victims here. Because In the same way that it says of the Father in Isaiah 65, I spread out my hands all day long uh, to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. And then again in Isaiah 63 and verse 5, he says, I was amazed to see that there was no one to intervene for these oppressed people. There was no one who could help them. He says, so I stepped in to save them with my strong arm and my wrath sustained me. And then almost the counterpoint, like the second installment of that, is Jesus who says, here I am. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. I've come to be your strong right arm. I've come to lay down my life that these men might be saved. And so we come to this fourth beatitude that the natural response then from to the first three for us is that we would, the appropriate response to that morning is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I don't want to be that in that abject place. I don't want to be in that place where I'm just groaning under the weight of my sin. God, I want to be righteous. I want to know your imputed righteous where I stand right before you. And God, I want to know that, that uh, imparted righteousness by the Holy Spirit where I begin to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, as the scripture says. Psalm 42 and verse 1 and 2, the psalmist gets it right. He says, as the deer longs for the flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When may I come to see your face? 
Anyone who thinks that this can be obtained without the mercy of grace has never really tried to do it. We, we cannot do this by ourselves. And so it is a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit in, res- in response to three postures or three moves that we make because we hunger and thirst. There are three intentional acts that we do, and they all start with P. So that's just to be helpful. So the first one is we must keep presenting ourselves to God. The great thing about receiving the imputed righteousness, the righteousness that we don't deserve, the righteousness as a gift, or if you like, the right standing before God. The great thing about that is we have the capacity now to go freely into his presence. We, we can keep presenting ourselves to God. You're struggling with some stuff? Don't hide from God. Gee, if I go in and tell God about it, he'll get a shock. Let me let you in on a secret. He already knows. You are not going to shock him. He can't be disappointed. He can't be disillusioned. He has no illusions about you to start with. He knows exactly what you're capable of. And so the writer to the Hebrews implores us. He says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In the time of need. And when we're trying to work at our salvation, when we're trying to live out uh, a righteous character, we need grace and mercy to do that. So we, we must keep presenting ourselves before God. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. The second one is we must keep pressing in. This is not hungering and thirsting is about pressing in. When we were in Thailand, we would quite often go up onto the Burmese border and uh, we'd seen some beggars in Thailand. You know, we'd seen them in the street and all that sort of stuff. But we'd never seen really serious beggars like the ones in Burma. They were unbelievable, especially the kids. They would come up, they would grab your clothes, they would, they would go, if you, if you just sort of brushed them off and walked in another direction, they'd follow after you. You know, they'd track you for miles, continually begging, 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 asking you for stuff. They were willing to press they got in your face and they... Now, some of that wasn't real great because they, they had people that sort of managed that for them and took half of their money. But nevertheless, they were hungering and thirsting. And there's something about the hunger of... Uh, the, the urgency of being hungry. Who's ever been so hungry you just got to have something to eat and you'll settle for, like, settle for anything? You know, I, I know when I'm not hungry because I go to the cupboard, I open the door, I have a look and go, uh, nothing takes my fancy. I'm not hungry. You know, if I go to the cupboard and I see something that's edible, then I know when I'm hungry because I'll take it. Paul puts it like this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or already reached perfection. I may not have reached the perfection in uh, righteous character, but this one thing I do. I press. I press, I press in to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. And then the third one is that we keep pursuing righteousness until we're satisfied. I don't know if you've ever been to a all-you-can-eat buffet. Because some of the translations here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, if you've ever been to an all-you-can-eat buffet, you know the experience of being filled where to have some more food would actually make you physically sick. But you are still not satisfied. 
because the food hasn't been all that great. There's been a lot of it, but it's not been all that great. But this is what the scripture says here. It says, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will not just be filled, they'll be satisfied. I love what, uh, what the psalmist writes in Psalm 17 and verse 15. It says, as for me, I will behold your face in righteousness and I'll be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. You know, there's something so incredibly satisfying when we understand and see and can perceive the fact that we're drawing near and our character is changing. So the Beatitudes ask us some questions. Number one, have we realised that we're truly spiritually poor? Has that hit you? Has it hit you to the point where you, you are desperate because you know there's no other thing that you can do? Like those guys on, in the book of Acts when Peter preached to them and they said they were cut to the quick. In other words, they were destroyed internally. And they said to Peter, brothers, what must we do? We're prepared to do anything. Whatever it takes, we're prepared to do it. That is spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty then brings us to a place where we genuinely grieve over our condition. Maybe you, you went and responded to an altar call because you were receiving some gift. That's not quite the same thing. You were receiving a gift, but you're receiving a, a gift that you did not deserve and could never, ever be worthy of. Have we been grieving over our position? As a result of that, have we adopted, and this is, this is a really important one, have we adopted that posture of, weak, of meekness where we no longer want to defend ourselves? We no longer feel entitled of anything. But we do know that because of Christ, we are possessors of everything. We've given up our, um, defending ourselves with excuses. Have you found yourself becoming hungry and thirsty to know that positional righteousness of being justified and that practical righteousness of knowing what it means to be sanctified, to have your character made like the character of Christ. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for these, these words that Jesus spoke to us as he laid out the posture and the culture of the kingdom. Father, we pray as your spirit gathers around us this morning, as we are worshipping together and listening to your word, God, that you would begin to move on our hearts. You'd find the place that where we're at and, and God draw us into you and draw us forward. Father, I pray that for each one that has never truly understood what it means to be spiritually desperate, God, that some of that would fall upon them by your spirit today. Some who've never known what it means to be absolutely mournful of their, their existence and their person without Christ. God, that some of that would come upon us today, almost creating a, a desperate need to do something, to move in a different direction, to turn around and go in the opposite direction. Father, I pray today that of those that have never let go of their self and their, their sense of what is, what, what's owing me and what's due to me, and never adopted uh, a position and a posture of meekness. Today, Spirit of God, would you come and do that in their lives, I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, lastly, I pray that you would begin to develop within us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in every way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, guys.